بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد so carrying on then from where we left off with Bahjat Qulub al-Abrar we had gone through 29 hadith so far so today then we begin with hadith number 30 and that is the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu qal qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam إذا مرض العبد أو سافر كتب له ما كان يعمل صحيحا مقيما رواه البخاري This hadith the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is telling us about the reward for an individual who has that righteous and good intention if he is prevented from doing a particular act. So the narration says, if a servant becomes ill, if a servant becomes ill, or travels, goes on a journey, then it will be written for him, the reward of the actions that he used to do typically when he was not ill and not traveling. So if it was the habit of an individual, for example, that he prays the night prayer regularly, consistently, but then some illness overcomes him and prevents him for a night or two or three, then the hadith indicates he would still be given reward upon his intention of desiring to do that good deed which he typically does, but the illness prevented him temporarily and broke his routine. Similarly, if a person goes traveling on a journey and that breaks the routine of some particular worship that he typically does otherwise, then again the hadith indicates the reward would still be written for him. Ashaykh al-Sa'di rahimahullah says, هَذَا مِنْ أَكْبَرِ مِنَنِ اللَّهِ عَلَى عِبَادِهِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ This is from the greatest of the blessings what Allah has bestowed upon His believing servants. أَنَّ أَعْمَالَهُمْ الْمُسْتَمِرَّةِ الْمُعْتَادَةِ إِذَا قَطَعَهُمْ عَنْهَا مَرَضٍ أَوْ سَفَرٍ كُتِبَتْ لَهُمْ كُلُّهَا كَامِلًا That if continuous, consistent deeds of a person become temporarily cut off, due to illness or traveling, 
then the reward will still be written for that person complete. Because he is somebody who typically and usually and always does a particular act of worship. But then some illness for a day or two or a week broke his routine and he couldn't do it. And was it not for the illness, he would have been carrying on and doing it that week too. So the reward is written for him upon the intention. And the same with traveling. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ مِنْهُمْ أَنَّهُ لَوْلَا ذَلِكَ الْمَانِعْ لَفَعَلُوهَا Allah knows that was it not for that particular preventative factor, the illness or the traveling, Allah knows was it not for that upon this person, he would have definitely done that worship and carried on doing it as normal. فَيُعْطِيهِمْ تَعَالَى بِنِيَّاتِهِمْ مِثْلَ أُجُورِ الْعَامِلِينَ مَعَ أَجْرِ الْمَرَضِ الْخَاصِ وَمَعَ مَا يَحْصُلُ بِهِ مِنَ الْقِيَامِ بِوَظِيفَةِ الصَّبْرِ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still rewards them upon their intentions. Just like the reward of somebody actually doing that action. And on top of that, the person who is ill will have the reward of that illness for the patience he demonstrates during it. أَوْ مَا هُوَ أَكْمَلْ مِنْ ذَلِكَ And maybe a person may gain even greater reward in his patient, in his illness. Because when a person is ill and you show patience, that is a good high level. But there is an even higher level than just being patient upon those illnesses. That is the level of actually being thankful to Allah and being absolutely content upon your state, whatever illness has overcome you. And that is the higher level. A person can be patient during the times of illness. But a person who goes even beyond that, more than patient is to actually thank Allah and to be grateful and to be absolutely content in his state knowing that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has decreed that upon him. It's mentioned about Al-Imam Ahmad rahimahullah that on one occasion he became ill and he said during his illness, because even though the pain was severe upon him, the pain was severe upon him. And when a person is severely in pain, you may hear some rumblings from him, noises of pain emanating from him. But when he was reminded, or he reminded, that the angels, they write down everything, even that sound you make in pain, when you're in pain of illness and difficulty, some noise or sound may come from you expressing that difficulty in pain of illness. Imam Ahmed said, I don't even want to make that sound when I'm ill. I don't want to make the sound, ugh, that pain, that sound that you make when ill. He said, I don't want to make that sound when I'm ill. Because the angels write down everything. And I fear 
that making that sound is a sign of a lack of patience. A sign of a lack of patience to make the sound and to allow something to emanate from you indicating your pain. So he said, even that I am going to refrain from it. So a person who is patient, no doubt, is a good level. But the one who is even more than that, as grateful and absolutely content with the decree of Allah, then that individual has reached the higher levels. So a person who is ill has the reward if he is patient during that illness and shows his gratitude to Allah nevertheless. A person who is traveling has reward. If he is patient upon the difficulties of traveling, traveling presents its own difficulties and its own hardships. So an individual, the point of this being, who is persistent upon his actions and his worship, and is regular upon it, even if it is something small. Because as it is said, the most beloved of actions to Allah the most beloved of the actions to Allah are the ones that are consistent, the ones that you do with continuity, even if they are only small. Even if the action is only small, but you do it on a regular basis, then that is more beloved than doing a big action once and then nothing for months. Regular worship, even if it is smaller amounts, is better. So for example, an individual prays the night prayer, gets up one night and prays five hours, and then he can't get up again and do it again for another month. Another individual only gets up for 45 minutes a night. But with that 45 minutes or an hour a night, he can do it regularly three, four, five times a week. Consistently he can do it. As opposed to the one who tries four hours, five hours, one night, and then he's not able again for two weeks, three weeks a month. So it is better if you make your action slightly less to aid you to persist and can be consistent and regular with those actions. So here the one who is upon that way in his worship, who is upon that way of continuity in his worship, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards that individual. If his continuity is broken by something like illness or traveling. It is suitable to mention at this time of the year, this exact narration about continuity and consistency. This time of the year now, the time of Shawwal, where you have just come out of Ramadan. Ramadan has just come and gone. And the month of Shawwal has now approached. This time now is a time of reflection upon every individual. Where that individual is now, and where that individual was six weeks ago. If a person sees that he is now the same as he was six weeks ago when Ramadan began, then you have not improved yourself 
with this blessed month. If you see yourself worse now than what you were six weeks ago just before Ramadan began, then you are, or it is a sign upon the fact that you are somebody who has not had a successful Ramadan. Ramadan, as Sheikh Al-Athameen mentioned, Ramadan comes to an end. Ramadan every year, it comes and it goes. It comes to an end and it finishes. However, worship does not finish just because Ramadan finishes. Prayer does not finish just because Ramadan has finished. The obligatory prayers, of course, but even the taraweeh, It is sunnah to pray that all year. It is a mistake a person who thinks that the night prayer after Isha is only for Ramadan. Yes, in congregation that is mentioned about Ramadan. But the rest of the year, praying yourself in your homes or even in congregation if it coincided with somebody, praying that night prayer for the rest of the year, it is sunnah to do so. And in particular, في الثلث الأخير من الليل, in the last third of the night when Allah descends to the lowest heaven and says, من يستغفرني فأغفر له, who is seeking my forgiveness and I will forgive them? Who is seeking to ask me and I will give them? Who is repenting and I will forgive them? In the last third of the night to pray your taraweeh in your homes, sunnah throughout the year. So do not think that prayer comes to an end when Ramadan comes to an end. Fasting does not come to an end when Ramadan comes to an end. Ramadan finishes, but fasting does not finish throughout the year. So many different narrations about the sunnah fasts that you can do. The day of Arafah that is approaching, the next Eid, the day before it, for the people who are not in Hajj, then it is sunnah, a great sunnah to fast on that day. In the hadith it mentions, يُكَفِّرُ السَّنَةَ الْمَاضِيَ وَالْبَاقِيَ It expiates for you the sins of the previous year and the upcoming year. How the upcoming year? Some of the scholars say that Allah gives you the tawfiq, to not commit sins, or even if you commit sins, that Allah gives you the tawfiq to repent from them, and to be forgiven for them, for all of the upcoming year, a great sunnah day to fast, you have the day of Ashura, the Muharram fast, the day when Fir'aun, he was after and sought to kill Musa salam, but he failed, Allah saved Musa alayhi salam on that day. So when the Prophet sallallahu made hijrah and went to Medina and saw that the Jews were fasting and he asked them why, they said this is the day that Allah saved Musa alayhi salam from Fir'aun. So the Prophet sallallahu said, we are more deserving of Musa alayhi salam. So then he fasted and told the Muslims to fast. And he said that I will add the ninth with it next year if I live. Another great day to fast, the day of Ashura, mentioned in the hadith too, يُكَفِّرُ al الْمَاضِيَةِ 
it expiates the sins of the previous year. In another narration, we find other days of the sunnah to fast after Ramadan. The advice in the hadith, when the Prophet ﷺ advised three of the companions, Abu Hurairah and Abu Dhar and Abu Darda radiallahu anhum, he said to them, gave them an advice about certain things. One of the advices was to fast three days of every month. Every month, just do three days. And that is like the reward of the year, for indeed every deed is by ten times its reward. So three days of a month is like thirty days. Three days of every month was the advice to them. And the advice to them is the advice to the ummah. In another narration we learn about Ayyamul Bid, the white days of every month, the 13th, the 14th, the 15th, to fast on those days, the Islamic 13th, 14th, 15th. That is a sunnah also. We also learn about Yawmul Ithnayn and Yawmul Khamis, Mondays and Thursdays, sunnah also to fast on them. We learn about the fasting, of one day on, one day off, the fasting of Dawood So how much fasting is there outside of Ramadan? Much has been mentioned in the Sunnah. So do not think that when Ramadan finishes, fasting finishes. Right now in this month, the narration mentions the six days to follow up from Ramadan. Man sama Ramadan, whomsoever fasts Ramadan, meaning completes it, makes up any days you got left to make up first. Then, thumma atba'ahu bisittin min shawwal, then follows it up with six days of this month of shawwal, kana lahu kasayam al-dahr, or kama qal, that he will have the reward of the whole year. Six days of this month, and there are a couple of weeks left now of this month. Six days to get the reward of the year. Finish off any days left from Ramadan. If the women have days left to make up, make them up. If the men have days to make up, make them up. Then after that, do your six days for this month. And it is the reward of like the year. So Ramadan finishes. But the act of worship of fasting does not finish. Ramadan finishes, but the recitation of the Qur'an does not finish. If a person has not picked up the Qur'an since the night before Eid, for two weeks now, then you know that your state is not in a good state. Qur'an is not for Ramadan only. Qur'an does not come to an end for a whole year now till next Ramadan. Quran, it is guidance from Allah, speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What kind of an individual abandons the Quran for the whole year and only finds it in Ramadan? Ramadan ends, but the recitation and the learning of the Quran never ends. So you see, as Shaykh al-Athameen mentioned, the particular blessed times for worship they come and go. Ramadan comes and goes. 
Hajj will come and go. Those blessed times, they come and go. But the time for worship does not ever go. The time for worship never goes. Ramadan finishes, but your prayer does not. Your fasting does not. Your Quran does not. Your charity does not. Hajj comes and goes, but your righteous deeds and your worship to Allah and your dua never finishes. So that is something important to remember. In fact, as Shaykh al said, even when you think about those blessed times Allah has given us, they don't ever really come to an end. Because one always follows another. Ramadan now comes and goes, barely a few weeks now and Hajj begins. In fact, Hajj, now the season has begun. For the one doing Tamattu' from the day of Eid it begins. So the minute Ramadan finishes, from the finishing of Ramadan is now the Islamic season of Hajj begun. For the one doing the Tamattu' Hajj, you can do it from now. So one season, blessed season of worship finishes. Another blessed season begins. Hajj, Dhul Hijjah, it finishes. We're into Muharram, Ashura comes. All the time there are things coming from the blessed affairs. So a person is to be consistent with his worship. And that is what this narration is talking about. The individual who has that consistency in his worship. If it is broken up by something out of his ability, he had to travel somewhere, or something which occurred temporarily, like illness or travel, then he will still be rewarded for his intention that he would have generally continued upon that act of worship otherwise. Then we move on to the next narration, the hadith of Abu Hurairah. رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أسرعوا بالجنازة فإن تكوا صالحة فخير تقدمونها إليه وإن تكوا غير ذلك فشر تضعونه عن رقابكم متفق عليه this hadith, it is talking about the janazah. When a person dies, and you pray the janazah upon him, and then you take him to be buried. This hadith says, Asri'u bil janazah. Hasten with that process. Hasten. Don't delay and be slow in the processes of janazah. What are the processes of janazah? They are washing the body, they are shrouding the body, they are carrying the body, they are burying the body, the prayer of course in there too. All of those are aspects linked to the janazah. The washing of the body, the shrouding of the body, the prayer upon the body, Carrying the body, burying the body. All of those are processes within the janazah. The hadith of Abu Huraira in Bukhari and Muslim tells us, the sunnah is to hasten in completing those processes. To hasten in completing that, 
those rights upon the deceased to hasten in getting the washing done and the shrouding done, to hasten in having the prayer done, not to delay. Sometimes you hear the people saying, we need to wait for the relatives to arrive from London. We need to await somebody is coming from abroad, their flight is tomorrow morning, we'll do the janazah tomorrow after dhuhr. Even though we have everything ready, we can do it tonight. That type of delay as the scholars have mentioned is actually impermissible. It is impermissible to delay the janazah, to wait for relatives to arrive. If the matter is something minor, they are here, they are arriving. Somebody is in the traffic two minutes away, that is something else. But talking about somebody arriving from abroad, they're going to come in two days earliest flight. So we need to delay the janazah. This is the son. The father is going to come. We have to delay for three days until he arrives. That is against the sunnah to do so. It is against the sunnah to delay the janazah, the burial, waiting for people to arrive from everywhere. Rather to hasten in that process of washing the body as soon as possible. In this country, sometimes there are certain legal procedures and whatever else. As soon as that is done, the quickest you can do it, then to wash the body, to shroud the body, to do the prayer, to take the body and to do the burial. Not to delay. Not to delay waiting for people, not to delay after the prayer, to delay and leave the body for an hour with everybody coming to see All of these things, they are not evidenced to delay the burial like that. People delayed for an hour, more than an hour, so that the whole two, three thousand congregation can walk by and see the body first. These types of things are against what the sunnah has mentioned, meaning delaying the janazah as a whole. So here it says, be hasty, be quick with doing all of that. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ tells us, "In if that individual who you are burying, if he was somebody righteous, فَخَيْرٌ تُقَدِّمُونَهَا then it is only goodness that you are taking him to. If he was somebody righteous, and pious, then for him in the barzakh will be the blessings of the grave. So take him quickly and put him to his blessings. Why delay him from his blessings in the grave? And if it is the opposite that he was somebody evil, if he was somebody evil, then the Prophet ﷺ says, hasten again and remove this evil individual from your shoulders. Bury him quickly. Don't keep his body there and slowly on your shoulders, slowly in the car and the entourage and these things they do. If he was somebody evil, then quickly go and bury him and remove that individual into the ground. Take him and place him away if he was somebody evil. And if he was somebody good, then he is waiting for his blessings of the grave. So hasten with him. So in both cases you hasten. Whether it ends up being somebody good, then good for the blessings of the grave to get there. 
And if it was somebody bad, then remove that evil from yourselves. So it is sunnah to hasten with that. And it is a fard kifayah to do it. To meaning the janazah. It is a fard kifayah to perform the janazah. It is not an obligation upon every Muslim. However, it is an obligation upon some. If some of them perform that janazah prayer, then the sin is removed from them all. But if none of them perform it, then the sin is upon them all. And there are narrations about the increased number of people in a janazah prayer, the increased numbers of rows, the having the people of Tawheed, the 40 people of Tawheed and other narrations within the janazah prayer, this is all good. And if you look at the biographies of the scholars, you look at the biographies of the various scholars, and you see how many people attended the janazah of some of them. Even from the olden times, like Al-Imam Ahmad, how many people attended his janazah they mention in history. We're not talking just hundreds, we're not even talking a few thousand. We are talking masses and masses, not just a few thousand even, masses and masses attended. Now even to our time, you look at the scholars, you look at the death of Sheikh Bin Baz, Sheikh Al-Ithameen, you see the pictures now in the archives of how many people were there at the janazah. This is something good if the people, they go and they make dua for their brother or their sister who has passed away, Ask Allah to forgive him or her. So it is a fard kifaya that must be done. If there is a side point to mention, if there is some maslaha, there is some good, there is some point behind delaying the burial of somebody for some amount of time, if there is some goodness that comes out of it, to delay it slightly, then the sheikh says, that is okay. That is okay. Examples he gives, كَأَنْ Somebody dies, as you say in the phrase, out of the blue. Fit and healthy, and all of a sudden he dies. Now, even in this country, they will want to examine that person. They will want to check what has happened. Has he died? Is he really dead? What is happening? You need to make sure. Because even in the past, only a few years ago, all of those cases are documented of certain medical conditions they now talk about in their journals that slow the breathing to almost nothing, they slow the heart rate to almost nothing, and they used to think them to be dead, and they used to bury them. And afterwards they used to realize that death may not have actually occurred upon them, may have been some severe form of coma. So the sheikh says, if something occurred where there was some doubt about it, what's happened, you may want to delay to examine everything, to check everything, to do the medical tests, to make sure everything, what has happened, is death really the, the case here? Or is something else going on? Is there a coma, etc.? 
So you may want to delay for something like that. Or, and the shaykh says, لِأَلَّا يَكُونْ قَدْ أَصَابَتُ سَكْتَ So that maybe, just in case you want to make sure it's not some form of deep paralysis, some form of deep coma, which they mention in their medical journals, it can slow the breathing and the heart rate to such a degree that you think the body is dead, nothing can be detected, particularly in the years that have gone by. So the sheikh says you may want to delay to examine that affair. Or, You can also delay slightly what we were talking about now to gain a greater number of people. So for example, a sudden death occurs, you, are, you spread the message to their friends and family, but it was sudden. And the janazah is sudden. Hardly anybody will attend from that short notice. Maybe you may delay slightly. The death occurs just before dhuhr. You could do it straight after dhuhr, everything quickly done. But you may decide to delay till after asr, one prayer, one hour, two hours, to allow the people to get a chance to realize and to come and to increase the number of people who pray upon that person and the number of people who seek forgiveness for that person. Maybe a short delay. Again, we're not talking about delaying it for a week or two days or three days, but a short delay to allow the people to realize and to come. Also, مَنْ لَهُ حَقْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ قَرِيبٍ Also to allow the opportunity for those from the close relatives to arrive. But again, as we said, only a small delay. This doesn't mean you wait three days for the airplane to arrive. Doesn't mean you wait for several days or even till the next day necessarily. But maybe on the same day you delay slightly to allow the people from further afield from his relatives and those who are close to him to arrive. So that may be something of a small delay to allow those who have the right upon him from his close relatives to arrive. And the Shaykh says, وَقَدْ عَلَّلَ ذَلِكَ بِمَنْفَعَةِ الْمَيِّتِ لِتَقْدِيمِهِ لِمَا هُوَ خَيْرٌ لَهُ مِنَ النَّعِيمِ أَوْ لِمَصْلَحَةِ الْحَيِّ بِسُرْعَةِ فِي الْإِبْعَادِ فِي الْإِبْعَادِ عَنِ الشَّرِّ So the two reasons given to be quick with the janazah is to either put that person quickly into the blessings that he is going to, or to remove that person from you if he ends up being somebody evil. The hadith therefore indicates overall that it is from the rights of a Muslim, the janazah prayer, and it is from the rights that you give importance to the janazah prayer, that you attend and you pray and you seek forgiveness for that servant of Allah. Also, we establish from this narration, we recognize from it also about the barzakh and the blessings of the barzakh and the punishments of the barzakh in the grave. There are blessings of the grave and there are punishments of the grave and there are evidences that indicate all of that. Evidences, a hadith that mention how the righteous person some of them about the shaheed, how his soul will be in the green bird that flies amongst the lanterns of paradise. 
That is in the barzakh. In the punishment, it is mentioned many narrations. In the dua that you make, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adhab al-qabr. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the punishment of the grave. So no doubt that is something established. In the grave when a person is buried, there are blessings for the righteous. In some narrations it mentions how the grave is made large. So far, as far as the eye can see for that righteous person in his grave. Spacious and wide. And a door is opened up into paradise. And he sees his place in paradise. And so he says, Ya Rabbi, Aqim al-Sa'ah. O my Lord, establish the hour. Allow the day of judgment to occur because he sees the place in paradise of his. And as for the wrongdoer, it is mentioned how the grave is squashed upon him to the level that his ribs and bones, they crack. And a door to hellfire, a door to hellfire is opened up. A door to hellfire where the heat and the poisonous smells, they come through to him and he sees his place. So he says, Ya Rabbi, la tuqim al-sa'ah. Oh my Lord, do not establish the hour. Do not establish that day. Because he sees where his end result is going. So the punishments and the blessings of the grave, they are something established as a point of aqidah. From the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that this is something that certainly occurs. There are certain people who may be exempt from the punishment of the grave. There are certain people who may be an exception and they do not receive the punishment of the grave. So which types of people are mentioned as exceptions that they would not receive the punishment of the grave? That is something mentioned by some of the scholars. There is a narration. There is a hadith, perhaps in Tirmidhi, perhaps in Tirmidhi, A narration that mentions the one who dies on the night of Friday or Friday, then he is exempt, saved from the punishment of the grave. The night of Friday being, as we say, Thursday night. As we say, Thursday night or Friday. The one who dies on those two days or those two times, the night before Friday, and Friday, it is mentioned. Some of the scholars may dispute the authenticity of that. However, there are many scholars, including a Shaykh al-Albani, I believe, who authenticate that narration regarding the night of Friday, and Friday, the person is saved from the punishment of the grave. The Shaheed, 
the one who dies in the path of Allah sincerely upon the actual path of Allah, not what you see these days for those going upon the path of a shaitan, then the shaheed in reality is mentioned. Who else? That can be categorized similarly. Anything else? There is a mention in a hadith about the one who dies from a stomach disease. Somebody who dies and the cause of his death is some stomach related disease. In the hadith it mentions that person is exempt from the punishment of the grave. There is a narration about some of the salaf. They were sitting together and one of them said to the other one, that such and such has died, and we need to go to his janazah. They were keen to go. Because he said, that man died from a disease of the stomach. So the other one said to him, did the Prophet ﷺ not say, the one who dies from a disease of the stomach will be saved from the punishment of the grave? The other one said to him, Bala, absolutely. So they were keen to go to his janazah knowing that he would be somebody who is saved from the punishment of the grave. Some of the scholars said that the meaning of the disease of the stomach is some type of disease that causes inflammation in the stomach. Others, they said, it is a type of severe diarrhea that causes something that leads to your death. However, what may appear to be correct is that it is open, because the narration mentions it in an open and general manner. Those opinions are ijtihad of the scholars. So we can say generally, a disease of the stomach that ends up killing somebody, then that is mentioned as being exempt from the punishment of the grave. Two other points in particular, where there is some discussion regarding them, but generally speaking, the one who dies, as they say, fi hukm shaheed he is not actually somebody who died as a shaheed, wasn't actually somebody out in the path of Allah, but he's in the ruling of it, equivalent to it. The one who drowns, the one who is burnt, the one who a building collapses upon him. These types of things are mentioned as those people being in the equivalent of a shaheed. So that possibly too. Something else? That's a different topic. We'll mention that separately, but particularly those who have been exempt from the grave, from the punishment of the grave. Those are smaller issues mentioned. Overall, big categories. The one who is majnoon, as they say, a person who doesn't have the isghair mukallaf. Somebody who doesn't have the mental faculties to understand what's going on now, then he is غير مكلف. 
He does not have the responsibilities and obligations upon him. So many of the scholars have mentioned that type of individual then is exempt. Rather, he will be given a test on the hereafter. One more overall category. Surah Mulk is mentioned as a protection from the punishment of the grave. Something else? Children. What about children? Are children exempt from the punishment of the grave or not? What was that? There's ikhtilaf, there's a difference of opinion regarding whether children are exempt from the punishment of the grave. Are you sure? Let's say Muslim children. There is a difference about it. There is some discussion regarding that topic. There is some discussion regarding this particular topic. It's outside of our bounds tonight. But there is some discussion regarding it. Perhaps on another time when we're doing those topics in Aqidah, we can mention that. But children, as some of the scholars do mention, are also exempt from the punishment of the grave. But nevertheless, the point being here, that the punishment of the grave, it is something established. The blessings of the grave are something established. And this narration, this hadith is generally highlighting to us that it is from the sunnah to hasten in getting to the burial, in performing what needs to be performed, and in burying that person. And when doing so, the mannerisms of the sunnah should be abided by. So when you bury that person, the bid'ah that people engage in, you should be educated so as not to engage in those affairs. So for example, congregational dua, despite what may be said, Congregational dua overwhelmingly as mentioned by the scholars and the evidences is not established. You do your own dua for the deceased. Congregational dua as Sheikh bin Baz and others have said, you don't go to the grave all of you together then making the dua for the dead as many of the people do. The imam starts making a dua and everybody together, ameen, ameen, making the dua. Rather you all make dua individually for the deceased. Not in congregation. Then there is another common thing people do. When they bring along with them some big green blanket. Something else big and green. Branches and leaves. Don't they do it? Place the big branch of big leaves. Green leaves some type of branch with leaves on it. Why do they do that? Is there any sunnah to do that? Or is it just bid'ah? No, they, 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 they so you have this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ did that. He did put a twig or these leaves onto the grave. Hadith where 
It mentions مَرَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِقَبَرَيْنِ فَقَالْ إِنَّهُمَا لَيُعَذَّبَانِ وَمَا يُعَذَّبَانِ فِي كَبِيرٌ أَلَا وَهُوَ كَبِيرٌ When he walked past the two graves and he said these two in their graves are being punished. Not for something big as they thought, but in reality it was big. أَمَّا أَحَدُهُمَا فَكَانَ يَمْشِ بِالنَّمِيمَةِ As for one of them, he used to go and spread the stories and the tales. وَأَمَّا الْآخَرَ فَكَانَ لَا يَسْتَنْزِهُ مِنَ الْبَوْلِ وَفِي رِوَايَ كَانَ لَا يَسْتَتِرُ He never used to look after himself when urinating or splashes went everywhere on his clothes, his body. Or in another narration, never used to conceal himself. Now these toilets where you go, where the people go rather, you do not go. Where the people go and they stand next to each other on those, those bowls stuck in the wall. <laughs> The narration says the one who does not conceal himself when urinating, punishment of the grave. Impermissible to use those. The one who does not conceal himself in one narration it says. And the other one, the one who does not look after himself, meaning he doesn't be careful when urinating and the splashes go everywhere. At the end of that narration, so the Prophet ﷺ said they're both being punished. How did he know that revelation from Allah? Telling him that these two are being punished. So what did he do at the end? At the end of the hadith, he put down the two green leaves. And he said, that as long as they remain moist, leaves, twigs, when he take them off, eventually, without water, without the rest of the tree, the roots, they'll dry out and the leaves will die. But they'll remain green for a while, a day, two days, maybe even a few days. He said, as long as they remain with that moisture, then I hope that the punishment of the grave will either be reduced or removed. So now the people, they put these leaves down for what reason then? Based upon the act of the Prophet ﷺ, putting them down and saying that this is something which will help the person in his grave from the punishment of the grave, as long as the leaves remain moist and green. When they die, gone. But as long as they remain moist and green for that few days, maybe a week or two even, then there will be some help for the person from the punishment of the grave. That is a proven hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that he did it. So now if a person comes along and does it and uses that as a proof, what are you going to do? Is it there for sunnah or is it bid'ah? So if somebody comes along now and says to you, I am going to put these green leaves in because there is a proven authentic hadith that the Prophet ﷺ did it. What are you going to say to him? So you're going to say to him, that's one thing you can say to him. The Prophet ﷺ, when he put those leaves onto those graves, and he said that as long as they remain moist, then the punishment will be, or that person will be helped and saved. He knew 100% they were being punished or not. Absolutely, he knew, revelation. Now you bury somebody, do you have revelation that they are being punished? Or maybe, mashallah, they are in blessings and you're putting down leaves. Have some good thoughts. You're putting down leaves. How do you know they even need the leaves? Do you have revelation of what's going on in their grave? Are they in punishment? Are they in blessing? So for a start, you do not have the knowledge that the Prophet ﷺ was given by revelation at that time. What else? Specifically, 
So this, as the scholars have said, there are sometimes in the sunnah certain things, certain odd things that were specific to the Prophet ﷺ. He did certain things sometimes, the odd things sometimes, that were only for him specifically as the Messenger of Allah. An example you could say is marrying more than four. Not permissible now. This is another example. How do we know this is an example? If somebody says, how can you prove that? Because normally the default is what the Prophet ﷺ did and taught. That is sunnah for us. If you're going to tell us this is something specific, why? One of the explanations you can give them is that not a single companion ever did it. If this was a sunnah, and this was something which helps the person in the grave, helps them to be safe from the punishment of the grave for a while, wouldn't every companion have just done it then? Just do it, precaution, put it down. If they are in punishment, then you help them for a while. Not a single companion did it. Why not? Because they knew that act that the Prophet ﷺ had done was something only for him, specific to him and not a sunnah for us to do. Never any narration of them doing it anywhere to any companion. And they were the most eager in hastening to goodness, loving for themselves, what they lo- loving for their brothers what they love for themselves, loving goodness, peace, safety, security, but they never did it. So it is not a sunnah to do that. It is a mistake of the people to do that. To put down these leaves. Other things you may see. Sometimes the people, they go there and they make adhan. Anybody ever witnessed that? Many people, mashallah. Only once in my life, I only saw it. I was surprised. Everybody here in Bradford, huh? Normal here. So the Adhan, there are narrations. There are narrations. However, those narrations are not strong enough as evidence or authentic enough as evidence for it. Hence, many of the scholars have said that they do not view this as an act of the sunnah to do. But this is the problem with the people. Due to not gaining proper knowledge of the religion, studying properly, they hear a hadith somewhere, they read their WhatsApp forwards, with all of these ahadith people sending around, you don't know what's authentic, what's not. You don't know where that person has written this from, where he hasn't. You don't know who the person was who copied out the message in the first place, whether he was half awake or asleep making mistakes. And you're reading all these messages and this is your religion now. WhatsApp has become your sheikh. This is a big mistake from the people. Learning their religion in this way, what they hear here and there everywhere. Learn your religion properly. Going through a hadith, learning with the sunnah, going through the Qur'an, listening to the explanations of the scholars. That is how somebody educates himself of the religion. Not through WhatsApp and through Google and through these other means that the people have used these days. So we'll conclude upon that narration for today. The next hadith will begin next time, which is the hadith about zakat.
and then after that, there are some more narrations following on regarding patience. Uh, some narration regarding charity. Uh, and then there are some narrations regarding fasting also, which will be easy. We have covered most of them recently. Uh, and then some narrations about the characteristics of the awliya of Allah. Who are the awliya of Allah? I'm sure you have many of those in Bradford too. <laughs> so we will discover in reality who these people are. Who are the awliya of Allah? They are. They are awliya of Allah. But who are they? What are the descriptions of the awliya of Allah? So inshallah ta'ala in the coming weeks, in the coming sessions, we'll go through that. Any questions up to there? On that or otherwise? Which no, all the things are cut off when a person dies, all of his actions are cut off except three. The ongoing charity, Sadaqajariya, you carry on getting reward for that even after you die. Righteous uh, knowledge that you leave behind and people benefit from it. You leave behind knowledge, you write an Islamic book. People read that book and learn it and study it. For centuries after your death, you carry on benefiting. Carry on getting reward. Third, the dua people make for you. Your children come and make dua for you, asking Allah to forgive you. Asking Allah to have mercy on you. Asking Allah to forgive your sins and to raise you. That type of dua your children come and make for you, it will benefit you. Their dua for you, will benefit you. The dua a believer makes for another believer can benefit that believer. So that is something mentioned that can benefit a person after his death. You make dua for him. You ask Allah to forgive him. Ask Allah to have mercy upon him. That is something that can benefit a person. And other things like giving charity on behalf of that deceased, making umrah, hajj on behalf of that deceased, uh, fasting in certain circumstances, in certain circumstances in what is allowed upon the opinions of some of the scholars. So there are certain things that can be done. As for reciting the Qur'an upon their grave and these types of things, then that is overwhelmingly mentioned by the scholars as not being some of the types of actions that you can do for them. You're going to say? Can you mention that it's not permissible to delay the jama'ah? So is that a sin then? According to this narration, it would not be deemed a sin, but it would be deemed an opposition to what the sunnah states. The sunnah says it is mustahab, it is something you should be doing, that you quickly do the janazah, don't delay. But if you ended up delaying, the narration as it stands does not indicate it's a sin. However, the scholars may well Mention that if a person purposely delays, purposely opposes the sunnah, then that is a sin. To purposely oppose the sunnah like that, and to say, no, I am going to keep the body as they say, as they do for a month, two months, whatever it might be, until they bury, that type of thing is not from the practice of the sunnah. It is in fact even falling into the imitation of the disbelievers. 
who keep their bodies for two weeks, three weeks, until they finally go and bury and do their things. So, uh, it may, it may be deemed as a sin if you are purposely opposing the sunnah. A small delay, as we said, isn't an issue. The shaykh here says, a small delay, somebody's coming, they're just an, a half an hour away, an hour away, a small delay, inshallah, as the shaykh says, isn't an issue. Some other scholars say even that is an issue. They say if you want to implement the sunnah, you don't even wait 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. Time for it comes, everything is ready, do your janazah, go bury them. Doesn't matter if the man says, I'm just half an hour away. But the shaykh says here, a small thing like that, inshallah, isn't a big deal. If a janazah is being held at the types of places that the scholars have mentioned, you should not be praying behind them. So for example, it's being held at some extreme type of Sufi mosque or those certain groups of the Brailwis and these places. It's being held at those types of places where you know they seek intercession by the Prophet and other types of things. Where the scholars have highlighted these places, you're not supposed to pray behind them. Now the janazah of your close relative is being held there. So what do you do? As for the actual janazah itself, then it's okay for you to pray later. You can go and pray at the grave after the burial when they've done it and all gone. You can go that evening later on and pray the janazah. You don't have to say, well, what am I going to do? These people normally, the fatwa is you don't pray behind these people, Sufis, do intercession with the Prophet etc., doesn't matter, you haven't missed the janazah, you can go and pray the janazah later on. That is mentioned by the scholars. You could go after everything they've done and gone, you go and pray your janazah. A few of you even, Ahlul Sunnah, the ones who go, you can go and pray your janazah upon the person. As for the, the rest of it at the beginning, then of course, you have the big fitna if you don't attend along with your family. Allahu alam, it would seem to be the case. The janazah, of course, like we say, you repeat it yourself afterwards. You do it yourself afterwards. But the rest of the procession and whatever else, then you, if it's your father, your mother, it's not possible to say because the rest of the family or whoever else is in control has taken it to the Sufi mosque that you're not allowed, that it's not permissible for you to be there and try and maintain the honor and the dignity and to the best of your ability, the sunnah upon the deceased of your relative. So you could go and do what you can do. Attempt to do what you do. Everything else where they are engaging in bid'ah, you attempt to do what you can. If you can't do anything, you 
you stay away from that. When they sit together and they do beads and they do other things, you avoid all of that type of gathering, all of those types of sittings. But if you have to go, they've gone to another mosque, you could go and attempt to maintain the dignity and honor of the deceased to, to the best of your ability upon the sunnah. And as for the janazah, you, you can pray it later on afterwards. You pray it again later on afterwards. If those are people where your prayer is not typically prayed behind them, then your janazah is not prayed behind them. So you pray that later on afterwards, and the rest of it you attempt to do what you are able. Because no doubt, the fitna there, most people would agree, would be greater if you didn't go. If you didn't go, the rest of your family absolutely for the rest of your life possibly would cut you off. If you didn't show your face, as they say. If you didn't show your face, then the rest of your family, it's possible for the whole of your life. That is how people are. They may cut you off. He did not even come to the funeral of his uncle or his this or his that. So you could go and do what you are able to do and avoid the bid'ah. If it becomes severe, then step aside. But generally, as they say, show your face amongst that and to maintain as much as you can of the sunnah and what's going on. And then the prayer, you do it yourself afterwards. Allah alam, but perhaps that is the best you can do in those situations. If you have absolutely no authority, you have no authority. You're, for example, the youngest sibling. You have eight brothers older than you. You have your father there. You have your uncles there. You have your grandfather there. You're the youngest sibling. And it's your mother, for example, who's died. All of your eight elder brothers, your father, your grandfather, your uncles, all of them upon, for example, Sufiya or something. There is absolutely nothing you can do in that situation. You're not going to be able to do anything. You start talking, your other eight older brothers will grab you and shut you up. You're not going to be able to do anything. It's a situation in reality. You In that kind of scenario where you can do absolutely nothing, you try talking and it will end up with more fitna than good. It will end up with more fitna than good. Nobody there from all of your uncles, brothers, all the elders there have complete control. There is nothing you can do. So then there is nothing upon you. You do what you can. If there are people individually you can try and speak to, then you do what you can. But if you have no authority, there's nothing upon you. What can you do? You will end up causing more fitna by trying to do something publicly where the control is completely against you than to remain quiet and slowly try and do what you can amongst the people. Later on go and preserve the honor of that deceased and pray the proper prayer upon the sunnah, upon that person. That's all you can do. It is not wise in the scenario that I just gave there now. In that scenario there, it would not be wise for a person to try and to speak up there. And you have eight elder brothers, you're the youngest one, you have all of your uncles, you have your father, you have your grandfather, all of them upon that way. And you as the young, the baby of the family are going to go and try and tell them all. You will cause greater fitna than they will listen to you. So you have to weigh up those situations. That's why. And joining the good and forbidding the evil has that principle. The scholars, they mention it. When enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, 
You have to weigh up the three scenarios. By enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, will the result be a good? Will you end up creating some good uh, and improving the situation? Second scenario, by enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, you remove that evil, but the consequence is another evil equivalent to where you started off from. So you're no better than where you were at the beginning. Third possibility, you enjoin the good and forbid the evil, and the consequence ends up worse than where you started. In that case, the scholars say you don't do it. The example Ibn Taymiyyah or Ibn Qayyim gave, they said, like in those days, you may see a group of people sat outside some type of institute drinking alcohol. A group of people sat there drinking alcohol. So you go and you prevent them. Maybe there's a group of you. You go, you grab their bottles, you smash them up and you tell them, get on your way. And you stop them from drinking that alcohol. You've enjoined the good and forbid the evil. You've forbidden the evil. Alcohol drinking has stopped. They've been moved on, their bottles broken. But now, they've been moved on, what do they go and do? Now they go and start maybe looting some shops. They go start robbing some shops, they go start beating some people up, robbing some money from them, so they can go and buy some more. They go on the streets causing corruption everywhere. Ibn Taymiyyah or Ibn Qayyim, I believe, they mentioned this example. They said in that case, you would allow them just to sit and move on, hate it in your heart. Because you overwhelmingly realize that if you stop them and smash up their bottles, overwhelmingly you realize these people who they are and their state, they're only going to go on into the streets and cause even more corruption. Now their corruption is limited. They sat there, limited corruption. You stop them doing this, they will cause greater corruption elsewhere. So then the scholars say, in that case, you don't do it. You fear it. Uh, you hate it in your heart. You hate it in your heart. You advise if you can, but that is it. There's nothing more you can do. So you have to weigh up the situation. It's not always a case of you see an evil, you must do something. Sometimes trying to do something may lead to a greater evil. And in that case, you don't do it. In that situation, we know that Ramadan, the six fasts of Shawwal, for that reward, you must have completed Ramadan first. So if you've got days left to make up, you've got to make those days up first, then do these six days of Shawwal. If, however, somebody has so many days left to make up of Ramadan, imagine they were ill, for example. They were ill for the full month. They only got better on Eid day. So now, this whole month, if they try to make up first, then do Shawwal, they can't, impossible. Because the whole month will take up the making up days. Or a sister is in some type of situation, maybe it was breastfeeding or pregnancy or whatever it may have been, something that led to the whole of the month or a, a large part of it, more than 24 or 25 days of it. So now when they try to make up first and do the six, they're going to run out of time. All I know from that situation, Allahu A'lam, is that you must still keep the order. There isn't a case of doing the six first, then in that case, and doing the remainder afterwards. The scholars will say, do all of your making up, and follow them on with your six, and then they say, yurja laha. It is hoped for her, 
That in that case then she has done exactly what she could. That was all she had in her ability. The number of days just didn't allow it. So she did exactly what she could, added on those six days immediately, overran slightly into the next month. The scholars say, inshallah, it is hoped for her that the reward is still applicable to her. I don't know of any other fatwa, Allahu alam, that the scholars say you can then reverse the order or anything like that. That is what scholars, they mention generally in those types of situations, generally. That you then just do what you can in accordance to what the evidences have mentioned, and it will be hoped, inshallah, you still therefore get the reward, even though your situation now has gone outside of the prescribed reward. So what about if you've got an uncle Rejecting the decree, rejecting the punishment of the grave, these types of beliefs are kufr, no doubt. However, to make kufr upon or takfir upon a certain individual isn't simple like that. A person may not even realize, especially with the decree, Especially with the decree, the elders and somebody who's not educated may not even know what he's talking about exactly and what he means when he says he's rejecting the decree. It's not something clear cut. That's why they say you need to establish the evidences and remove the doubts. You clarify to him and remove the doubts that he has. And that most people may not even be able to do anyway when it comes to issues of the decree and these things. So it's not as simple as that, as saying that if he said these things, he's a kafir. It would take some more investigation before you can make takfir of a particular individual. Okay, we'll conclude there for tonight then. Inshallah ta'ala, carry on in two weeks' time.